Welcome to McKinsey on Startups, a series focused on helping entrepreneurs and investors accelerate growth. Brought to you by Fuel, the firm's startup practice. Each episode, McKinsey editor Daniel Eisenberg speaks with founders, investors, and industry experts to share the latest perspectives across borders and sectors. Hello and welcome to McKinsey on Startups. I'm Daniel Eisenberg. Our guest today is Camilo Lacaros, the managing director of Mass Challenge Mexico a startup accelerator that is part of a global network with outposts in Boston, Texas, Israel, and Switzerland. Mass Challenge uses a relatively unique model in its work with budding entrepreneurs. It takes no equity in the startups it helps get off the ground over an intensive three to four month program. Its offering is completely free to the very early stage companies that are chosen after a thorough multi-stage competitive judging process. As part of its distinctive approach, Mass Challenge also works very closely with corporations that actively engage in the program as they look to learn about innovation and potentially work with startups in the future. Camilla has been with Mass Challenge Mexico for several years. She started her career in entrepreneurial outreach in Latin America, working at local accelerator Endeavor Colombia and then VC firm Nazca Ventures. She has an abiding passion for working with founders just starting to try to turn their ideas and visions into reality. In her more than a decade career doing so, she has seen the region's ecosystem similarly take flight from a nascent state to a vibrant, burgeoning entrepreneurial environment. As she told me, her greatest professional motivation is that entrepreneurship is the only way we can create sustainable economic development. So now let's get to our conversation with Camila Lacaros of Mass Challenge Mexico. Welcome to the podcast, Camila. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Daniel. Super excited to be here. Before we talk about Mass Challenge and the Accelerator model, let's talk briefly about your transition from Endeavor to Nazca. How has it been a key player at one of the region's first early stage VCs for Latin American entrepreneurs? It was a very interesting transition. I went from working with entrepreneurs and helping them grow at Endeavor to fundraising. It was interesting to see how investors looked at the region, how limited partners were to invest in this first fund, and how they didn't believe that we could have unicorns in the region. It was a difficult time that was back in uh, 2014. We were just seeing the first funds uh, getting started. We didn't really have unicorns. The reality is that in Colombia, in Mexico, we didn't have success cases. So for me, it was interesting to sell the fund, sell the region, sell the opportunity. Internet penetration was increasing at the time. Mobile penetration was also increasing. Those cases were going to happen and changing the mentality of investors from private equities a point of view to a venture capital point of view where you take more risks, but at the end you have bigger returns. So far in your career, you've been at the forefront of developing an ecosystem for entrepreneurs. That seems to be a common thread. What has been the biggest motivation behind your journey so far? My biggest motivation is that entrepreneurship is the only way we can create sustainable economic development. I believe it since I started working with entrepreneurs back in 2008 at Endeavor, seeing them grow and make a difference in each of the countries where they are, 
it's amazing. For example, I got to see Rappi when they were just starting this company that was just an idea now has thousands of employees, is all around Latin America, and is making a huge difference in their sector. And that's what motivates me at the end, just to see how my work at an early stage can create a huge difference in the economic perspective. Up to now, you've been working with different entrepreneurs all at the same time. Have you at any point been giving thought to being an entrepreneur yourself, or do you prefer working with a, a wide variety of entrepreneurs in supporting different teams in their journeys? I cannot tell you that I haven't been tempted to go work in a startup, but I really like uh, working with different startups and getting to know different uh, sectors and industries and really trying to problem solve with them. That for me, it's super interesting, more than focusing in one industry and doing that all the time. It sounds like it gives you a wider view of the different sectors and how they're impacting economies. Exactly. And it's also fascinating just to be at the start because you see all these new ideas that nobody thought about and you see them become a reality. So let's talk about Mass Challenge and the Accelerator model. Can you just talk about how it works and how you enable an equity-free funding route for new founders? Mass Challenge is a global accelerator. We started back in 2009 in Boston. Now we have offices in Switzerland, Israel, in other cities in the U.S. I started the operations here in Mexico back in 2016, and now we have operations in Central America and Colombia. What is interesting about our model is that we don't take equity. We give a four-month program completely free for the entrepreneurs. And the way that we do this and we are able to not take equity is that we work with corporates that are interested in understanding these startups and this innovation that is happening in early stage. We work with them to contact them with startups and actually for them to do pilots with the startups that we help. This has been an amazing process. We have seen that a lot of these partnerships bring amazing results, not only for the corporate, but also for the startup, because the corporates normally have a, a bunch of clients that can work with them. So this model has proven to be successful. We are very excited to have accelerated over 3,000 uh, startups globally that have fundraised over $8 billion and that have sales over three billion. These all fruit our model. What is the key difference in terms of not having equity be part of the equation when you're working with entrepreneurs? Do you feel that in some ways changes the relationship and how productive it can be? It's a different relationship because we have a very uh, short amount of time that we work with entrepreneurs. Part of our model is that we rely on experts to help the startups. The startups apply to the program. Then we have 600 judges that help us judge and select those startups. Throughout the program, we assign between two or three mentors to the startups or that help them grow. We define a KPI that is checked every 15 days. And at the end, we see a very big delta. We have around 800 uh, experts that help startups here in Mexico. I think that if we were just to fund we wouldn't be able to crowdsource and get all these 
intellectual capital together. So that's a huge difference. And it's part of the value added that we give at Mass Talent. Are all of these companies pre-raise that come to you? They super early stage. And that's part of what I like. Because you see them when they're just getting started. At the end, you can make a huge difference whether they get traction or not. If they get those first clients and they get running and they understand their value proposition, then they can become successful and fundraise capital. In Mexico, what have been some of the most meaningful changes you've seen in the ecosystem that supports entrepreneurs? The biggest change is that we have role models and people that have made it. You have new banks now, you have in Mexico 10 unicorns, and that makes a huge difference because you realize that it can be done. Also, that creates some effects for the ecosystem as you get the employees of these companies that have been successful, that have had some exits. They start their own companies with knowledge that they already have that huge change in the ecosystem. The other change is that we have investment in the region. Back in 2014, there was nothing. One of the major changes that I have seen in the last three years is funds from other parts of the world interested in Latin America. Seeing that opportunity, especially because of the medium income of the Latin region, the propensity to consume makes a huge difference. These are key factors that make the region very compelling. How much has it changed the view of folks going to work at startups, whether they're founders themselves or just folks leaving more established corporate lives to go work at startups? Has that become more accepted than a decade ago? Oh, that has changed completely. When I started working at Endeavor back in 2008, when you said you were going to work with startups and entrepreneurs, people were like, what? <laughs> My mom and pop shops? And that has changed because of the role models. People see David Vélez, the founder of Nubank, and see that he has become a billionaire and they want to become that billionaire. That makes a huge difference. But I think that we need to make it more accessible. What I see is that it's always entrepreneurs or startup founders from the best universities or universities in the United States that start these companies. There's a lot of the population that could be starting companies. I think that we have to permeate this to other elements of society, which we are not seeing right now. I was going to ask you about how diverse and inclusive the system in Mexico is currently. It sounds like perhaps it hasn't reached the points that you hope for. Does that apply to both gender as well as other aspects of diversity? Well, gender, I think it's getting better. For example, at Mass Challenge, 41% of our startups have a female co-founder, which is amazing. We had a very empowered community of female founders that are making a difference. We also have amazing role models. But the founders that are getting funded come from top-tier universities. And that's where we have to work on more inclusive ecosystem. We have a long way to go there. Given the growth Mass Challenge has had that you talked about, about 41% women co-founders, what approach did you take to help that? And what can Mass Challenge do to further grow the diversity and backgrounds, including education that you talked about? 
we are very conscious about it. During the application season, we consciously look for female founders. We go to networks. We do community events where we include a lot of female founders. That's super important. Then in the selection process, we always assure that we have two experts that are always judging that application. So at the end, you don't get that much bias. Every single judgment from a judge gets into this data set and we normalize for any type of biases. And that also helps us a lot. Being conscious in the pipeline, but also in the process makes a huge difference. That is going to change the way that we get more female founders. Regarding education, we do go to all types of universities and get the word out there that we can help them. Another thing that we have tried to do for those founders to get more English lessons, because our judging process is in English, that creates a very big barrier for those that don't speak fluent English or are not used to pitching in English. We do work on that part and we help. In terms of the pitching process and the focus on English, is that a standard for Mass Challenge across all its locations? Is it a necessary element of being an entrepreneur with global ambitions that you need to be able to speak more than just your native language? Yes, we get entrepreneurs in Mexico from all over the world. 52% of the startups are from Mexico, but the 48%, uh, it's from all over the world. So at the end, we have to be inclusive and it just gives us a standard. Also, going back to your point, it's important for entrepreneurs to speak English and to be able to pitch globally. It seems in the past couple of years in the Mexican startup ecosystem, software and fintech have accounted for a large majority of the new startups, as well as e-commerce and retail. Do you think these sectors will continue to grow? Are there any other sectors that you think are burgeoning? Fintech is going to continue to grow, especially when you have a vast majority of the population that is not banked. That's a huge opportunity and financial services will continue to grow. Retail will continue to grow. But one of the sectors that has been very interesting in the last two years is the food tech sector, where I see a lot of startups trying to figure out the supply chain to the end consumer. When you see that Mexico, it's one of the, the biggest avocado producers, <laughs> and most of it gets exported to the U.S., there's a huge opportunity there. It's a sector that I hadn't seen, and it's making a very big difference. Another sector that we have seen growing a lot is the edtech sector. There's a lot of people working around education and how to really make a difference, especially when there's a gap in the education system in LATAM. Just to clarify, when you talk about food tech, are you also talking about food using technology, biotechnology, synthetic foods, and that sort of thing? Exactly. And using products from Mexico to create these amazing different types of of foods and also in the supply chain. For example, we have a startup that is connecting small producers in Mexico to Walmarts or Tosumesas. It's amazing because they give these small suppliers technology so that they can produce in a higher level. And it creates a a huge difference. These small producers that were able to produce one herb and now they're producing a hundred herbs. 
and they never before had access to that kind of market. Exactly. Let's just talk a little bit about funding in the ecosystem. I think Kavak might have been the leader, at least earlier this year, raised one and a half billion U.S. dollars. We've been experiencing uh, globally a more bearish market with rising interest rates, inflation, global slowdown, that sort of thing. How do you see the funding outlook going forward in Mexico and in the broader Central American region? It's hard at this moment. Funds are being more cautious on who they invest in, especially because we come from 2021 and there was so much available capital that some of the funds may have invested in valuations that were not the best valuations and now they're trying to correct that. I do see a lot of funds funding seed stage and pre-seed which is pretty interesting. In those stages, it's easier because evaluations are not that crazy. What is going to be more difficult is for companies fundraising Series B or Series C in the growth stage. In these uh, next two quarters, we are going to see a lot of down rounds and we're going to see some of these companies fail and not be able to fundraise their next round. These uh, startups have to be more cautious of how they spend their money, that their unit economics work, and that they are profitable. So this is changing. Although we have 55 active funds in Mexico at this moment, and they're around in seed stage, they invest around 1.5 million. There's some capital there, but it's going to be hard. You talked earlier about role models. Obviously, the environment around people affects everything about them and their confidence and what they think they're capable of. Have you noticed any change in the number of folks coming with new ideas and applying both formally through the Mass Accelerator program and also in the entrepreneurial community? I do think that it has affected the number of new companies that are being built. People are holding on to their jobs. When they see that there's not capital available, they are like, okay, maybe I will start it later. Back in 2021, everyone's like, oh, okay, with a PowerPoint, I can fundraise $2 million. Perfect. Let's start it and see if it works. Now we are not seeing that, but I think that it is also an amazing opportunity for funds because people that are starting things, they understand the problem and maybe that creates better entrepreneurs. It's also a way to skim the milk, as we say in Spanish, and see whether these entrepreneurs are for real. There is a huge opportunity at this moment in the region. What advice do you have for young entrepreneurs raising capital for the first time, particularly in Mexico. I always tell them to really understand the problem and that they're solving, how they're solving them and have some traction. At the end, these are the three things that are key essentials when you are in an early stage. And when you are fundraising, one of the most important things is to talk to everybody. And never give up because maybe that last meeting that you're going to take is the one that is going to fund you. Talk to everybody, be really passionate about your product or what you're building. Yeah, I would think you can't be easily discouraged if you're in the entrepreneurial world because you're going to encounter quite a bit of disappointment before you get some success, right? Yes, and that's why I admire so much the entrepreneurs 
they are so resilient. And one of the things that I really like is working with people that really love their products and really love what they're building, and they are not giving up. What is the state of the availability of tech talent in the Mexican market? And what would it take to increase tech talent across Mexico and the region, in your view? That's a super important question, and it's key. There's talent. One of the things that I see is that they're developers, but there's a huge amount that have very shallow knowledge. They can reach a point, but they cannot uh, go into the business model and create things. Although there's a lot of programs that are training developers in six or eight months, we still have to give a lot of knowledge and training to them in order for them to go into a company, build new products, be aligned with the strategy and create things that will grow. With time, we'll get better talent with these companies that have trained them and that have grown. But I think that it's one of the issues that we should be working on, both in universities and these training camps and in general as an ecosystem. I just want to ask you if there's anything we haven't covered about what can be done to support the continued growth of the ecosystem in Mexico, as well as parts of Central America. Are there things that need to continue to happen to help it grow? And how do you expect things to evolve in this space over the next few years? Post-COVID, one of the things that happened is that the ecosystem became really siloed. So there's a lot of organizations, but they're doing things themselves. I think that we have to work more as an ecosystem. I also think that we have to give more visibility of what's happening locally. In general, everyone has a very broad view, but we need to have more visibility from the U.S. and other countries to what's happening locally. And the development of the ecosystem is pretty different. What it's interesting in the um, LATAM region is that startups that start in Colombia to Mexico and then go to Brazil. The Mexican startups go to Brazil for sure. So at the end, we do need that ecosystem building, not as a country, but as a whole LATAM, so that we can ensure these startups that are becoming successful can grow very quickly and scale. Camilla, thank you so much for taking the time to speak about Mass Challenge and yourself and the whole innovation ecosystem in Mexico and the broader uh, Latin American region. It's been great. Thank you, Daniel. That's it for this episode of McKinsey on Startups. Thanks, as always, to our stellar podcast production team, Molly Carlin, Sid Ramtree, Myron Shergan, and Polly Nellis. And of course, thank you for listening. This has been McKinsey on Startups, hosted by Daniel Eisenberg. We welcome your feedback, so please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you join us next time for more broad global perspectives on the challenges and opportunities for accelerating growth. Thanks for listening.